0: live from southern california this is the jim rome show why don't we start with conor mcgregor he was at wrigley last night to throw out the first pitch and to sing take me out to the ball game now if you've been anywhere near twitter or a tv you've probably already seen that first pitch if you haven't i'm here to tell you it was awesome Yeah, I said it. It was awesome. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network right now, I'm going to play it. There is no audio, unfortunately. So those of you listening along should either look it up on your phone or just trust me when I tell you it is one of the all-time great first pitches. Awesome. My man is rolling out to the mound, dressed to the nines, looking like a total boss. Because, of course, my dude David August... Hooked him up. Now, I don't want to take credit for this. It's not like I hooked David August up with Conor McGregor, but I take great pride in my relationship with David August. In fact, he was at my house the other day getting me set up for the NFL season, getting me set up for my radio look, because we hadn't done that in a little while because of the pandemic. So, I've known David August for a number of years. I have done business with David August for a number of years. I did business with him prior to a lot of the super wealthy rich people you see on TV who do business with him. Much more important than me. So, I take a lot of pride in that fact. I've been rocking those suits since way back in the day, like JRIB back in the day, way, way, way back in the day. And my point is, I can always tell somebody... Is a David August client. I know right when I see them on TV, right when I see them in public, I know because they look like a million. Look good, feel good, feel good, do whatever it is you do well. And Connor did. So Connor rolls out, takes the bump, toes the rubber, looking like a filthy lefty, just owning it, loosens his shoulders some and uncorks one. I mean, that thing that he uncorks goes nowhere near home plate. It goes flying at the backstop and nearly takes out some innocent fans between, uh, between home plate and the dugout. Now, here's the thing. If you're looking for me to do that extremely tired thing where I ranked out with 50 Cent, Mariah Carey, the mayor of Cincinnati, and Carly Rae Jepsen spiking the ball directly into the ground, If you're looking for me to do that, man, just keep moving. Keep right on moving. You see, Connor, that pitch, that was pure genius. This guy is a viral marketing legend. One of the best to ever do it. And that's what that was all about. If this guy shows up and he fires a P right down the middle, what's that get him? Absolutely nothing. Who would ever even care or remember that? Absolutely nobody. Absolutely nobody. This is what I'm saying. He knows that. If this guy goes to Wrigley in a good-looking suit and goes mid-90s and paints the black, I wouldn't be talking about that today. That wouldn't have made the show much less the open. I would not be talking about that today, and nobody else would either. And you know he hates that. Just as you know... He's not having that. Instead, he shows up and he pretends like he's trying to hit the catcher's glove and he damn near throws it out of the stadium altogether and he gets retweets and he gets likes and he gets viral run like a boss. This is how you do it. You see, the old way of throwing out a first pitch is to actually throw a good first pitch. The new way, and the best way, is to throw a terrible first pitch. It used to be that if you showed up and you didn't throw a great first pitch, it was embarrassing. Now if you throw a great first pitch, it's almost as embarrassing because nobody remembers it. Nobody. Nobody. You want to maximize your exposure? Then you better throw something that hits the screen behind the home plate. Better yet, buzz an umpire. No, better yet, knock out some unsuspecting pedestrian's eye on the street. Connor knows this. He knows it. Check out the in game interview with him about that first pitch.
1: Sitting now with Connor McGregor, who threw out the first pitch. Connor, I'm not going to waste any time. Your first pitch, tell me your thoughts.
0: The most devastating first pitch I've
1: ever seen in the iconic Wrigley Field. <laughs> so, I say this pitch is a little high. You say it's perfect. Well, the venom is there, the power is there. It's a little off accurate-wise, but, you know, I'm on the one leg, you can see me base uh, fully on the left leg that was just recently injured. Oh, I'm happy with that, I'll, 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 I'll take that on board, yeah?
2: Because you were saying that you really, you call it the venom the power, I say you call it velo, right? Yeah, but velo, yeah, <laughs>
1: well, if you could measure the power, I don't think there was much power difference between my, mine and them out there. Just the accuracy is a little off, Just, Just a little off. Bit, I'm happy with it. It was, either, it was either a little bit friendly or, you know, aim to take him off his feet. And if that was on target, we would have had a problem, I'd say.
0: Does this dude get it or what? I mean, that's perfect. Perfect execution. And then an even better explanation. Quote, the most dead. Did he sound like he was embarrassed, this guy? He was ecstatic. He was euphoric. And I am even listening to him describe it. The most devastating first pitch i ever seen. He's right. The venom is there. The power is there. And those are the two things that you want most of all. Trust me. Anybody who has ever thrown out that first ball knows that. I know. I did it. I've been there. I did it in front of a huge stadium. Four people. I did it at the old Jack Murphy Stadium way back in the day in San Diego. I'll never forget it. I came out of the dugout right before I took the bump. Janet grabs me and she says, and she's the most supportive person in the world. She says, and I swear, and I quote, please, honey, don't embarrass the family. Yeah, thanks, babe. So I go out there and I hit the spot. Then I come back and she says, I am so proud of you. Yeah, but I knew better. I knew better. I didn't do my job. I knew my pitch lacked venom and it lacked power. Just as Connors knew that he had it. (laughs) That guy, does that guy sound embarrassed by that pitch? Of course not. Because he had a plan, and he worked that plan, and he worked it to perfection. So if he had stopped right there, he had a good night. It's a win. He won that day. But he didn't stop right there. He wasn't done for the night. He still had the seventh inning stretch and a chance to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. So if he had that good of a plan for throwing out the first ball, as you might imagine, he again did the damn thing, and he dominated the seventh-inning stretch as well. What's
1: up, Chicago? The mic is back, and so are the Cubs. Let's go, Chicago Cubs! I'm here with Mateo, here with Kira. We're going to sing the song. Let's go. One, two, three. Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack I don't care if I never get back
0: So here's my review of that performance. The venom was there. The power was there. And again, the tired thing here is to crush somebody for how they butchered that song. I mean, I could play clips from Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon! Uh,
2: Chicago, it's great to be here at Reggie Stadium. You guys ready to do this? A one, a two,
1: a three. Team. take action! Yeah.
0: I mean I can jump in there and say, are you guys ready to do this? You obviously weren't, my man. But I'm not gonna do that. Or I can mix in Mike Dick with his speed metal version of it. Take me out for the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. To take- like Mike, why are you so angry? They love you. But I'm not doing that. Or I can mix in Scott Pippen.
3: To the ball.
0: I don't care if I'm I'm not going to point out a Chicago icon. How does that cheapskate show up like that? But I'm not going to. That's not what this is about. I'm not even going to get into how challenging that song is. How hard it is to sing in that context. Into that mic. Into that stadium. With those acoustics nor am I going to get into the fact that Connor probably never even heard that song before in his entire life. And he's out there just selling it and nailing it. He's out there singing about Cracker Jacks and he's selling out. I bet that guy's never even heard that song before. No, and don't come in here and clown him for his accent for when he was counting it down. And don't tell me he sucks as a singer. I'm telling you, I thought that was great. I thought that was tremendous. He had so much, so much, so much venom, so much power. Like, you hear a guy yelling words with no rhythm or meter, I hear a marketing genius. (laughs) I'll tell you what it's not about. It's not about showing up and singing that song perfectly and hitting every single note. Who cares about that? take that bull crap and you go on one of those talent shows that are on every single night of the week that I pride myself in never having once seen. If this guy shows up sounding like Freddie Mercury, does that get buzz? Does that move product? Does that sell tickets for his next fight? Of course not. The better approach is to get up there, come absolutely nowhere near the correct notes, and get people to talk. And Connor did just that. Think about it. Matt Nagy butchered his delivery of the words back in the day, and I'm still talking about it. I was still talking about it this week. I'm still talking about that. He did the whole thing yesterday. The review on the field did, in fact, show that he said penis. But there was not enough evidence to overturn. Fact of the matter is, not only am I still talking about him doing that, I'm going to argue that that's the best thing that guy's done since arriving in Chicago. So nothing but, and I'm talking about Negi. That's the best thing that guy's done since arriving in Chicago that song. So nothing but respect for Conor. He nailed it. The venom is there. The power is there. There are some things that Conor has done that I will never defend. I mean, some pretty despicable things, pretty reprehensible things, but I've got his back all day long on this one. This is the dude that at one time had the entire world looking at him Reacting to him, responding to him, eating out of the palm of his hand, because that dude used to crack dudes and put them to sleep and did so with venom and power. And he knew how to put on a show. Whether or not he can still do the former is questionable, but the latter is still intact. And I'm here for it because he just proved he can still win the day and the internet. So good job. Good job, Connor. Good effort. I wonder if on the way to the bump, I wonder if Connor's wife hit him with do not embarrass the family. Because short of a pigeon flying on a direct collision course with Connor's first pitch, you really can't throw a more memorable first pitch. Hey. hey. Maybe Connor's right. Maybe Connor was right the last time we saw him and he was on the mat. With a shattered foot screaming, this is not over. This is not over. Not the greatest look at the time. But I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe if I'm Dustin Poirier, I'm not sure I want any of this smoke now. (laughs) if you're like me your weekend plans include kicking back and watching live sports and it doesn't matter what sport you're watching it's always fun to have a little action that's why I recommend downloading the WinBet app right away whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager from straight bets to parlays teasers and any exotic proposition wager that you can dream up the app is easy to use and every Everybody knows Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines, join in on the action, download the WinBet app on Google Play or the Apple App Store today, and put yourself in the game. Win with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700. We're going to get him in right now. Rex Hoggard is my guest. Rex, what's going on? Good to have you.
2: I feel like this is what the Super Bowl must feel like to you and to the guys who cover the Super Bowl, where the entire week just builds up, and at some point, you just can't wait for it to start, and it just seems like it takes forever to get there, because we're still two days away from the first tee shot, and it feels like we're right in the middle of it.
0: Nailed it. Exactly, Rex. You're exactly right. That's why I got to you on Wednesday, too. So it does get underway, though. You're going to have to suck it up, get through the next 48 hours or so. It gets underway on Friday at whistling straights. Straits. Like, how would you describe the vibe around the course? You touched on this, but what about the vibe around the course and around the sport in the build-up to Friday? You gave me kind of the media build-up. What about the entire sport overall?
2: Well, I think if you go back to last year, when the decision was made not to play the matches, because of the pandemic, because of the fact they weren't going to have any fans. I think everyone agreed, yes, it's the right thing to do, but I don't think we put it in the context of a year from now, we will be able to have all of those fans, 30,000, 40,000 people on property. I had a chance to walk down to the first tee on Monday, and they built what they always built now, this huge amphitheater. That first tee is becoming an event. And golf, unlike anything else really, in golf, maybe I guess Scottsdale would be the comparison, but it's, such a big moment, and it's such an iconic moment for the game, and to have those fans back, and we've had fans back, and this isn't entirely new, but somehow this week, just the vibe coming off of property and having so many people sort of just soaking it all in again. It feels like, yes, that was definitely the right decision to postpone.
0: Rex Hoggard is joining us. All right, Rex, what about the matchup? Europe has won seven of the last nine Ryder Cups and beat the U.S. by seven points in Paris three years ago. So how does this year's teams match up against one another? Do you see any clear strengths or weaknesses or advantages? I
2: feel like you could sit here and make, and they are, the U.S. team are paper tigers again. I mean, if you look at, World ranking wise, if you look at accomplishment wise, and what the players on the U.S. team have done recently, you would have to look at it and say they are clearly the favorites. And even Las Vegas has the U.S. team as a slight favorite. However, it always comes back to all those things you just mentioned. You would have to ignore, completely ignore history. And the fact that Europe has won nine out of the last 12 matches, and it goes back to Paris where you pointed out the U.S. lost by seven points. It really hasn't even been close outside of a few outliers. I would say Davis Love a couple of years ago in 2014 would be one, and then Paul Azinger, what he did in 2008. Those are the only two really victories the U.S. team could point to, and I don't know, even with the new faces on the U.S. team and with a captain that's clearly engaged and he has a game plan, I still can't see how the U.S. can get it done.
0: Mm. Rex Hoger joining us. Really interesting, right? Like, before we even get to that part of it, Rex, I mean, the question comes up all the time, right? Before, during, and after every single Ryder Cup. But why is it that the European team not only wins, but has dominated this competition for so long? How do you personally answer that question?
2: I thought Parker Harrington, and again, I'm going to steal his words here because he does a much better job than I ever could. He was asked this exact question, and he immediately went back to 75 staff. And what he did in the late 70s and early 80s, and Sevy realized that to give the European tour and the European golfers some sort of legitimacy on the global stage, the way to do that, the quickest way to do that, is to make the Ryder Cup competitive. And so they included all of Europe, and suddenly it became this very, very competitive event. And if you kind of look at what they've done since then, and we're talking decades now, three, four decades, they have created the perfect system that gives the players the freedom. They go out and perform just like they would at a normal event where they're not worried about losing. They're only focused on just playing my best golf. And they've also created sort of this infrastructure that the U.S. is trying to copy. But it feels like the American side is still way behind.
0: We're talking to Rex All Ardor- right, Ardor- Rex, you mentioned how engaged the American captain, in this case Steve Stricker, is. What's your sense as to his approach and what he's doing when it comes to assembling the team and how he wants to actually run that team during the event.
2: Overprepared. That's all he's preached really over the last three years, if you think how long he's, he's been a captain because of the pandemic, and that's what you've seen from the players. I mean, I don't know that many American captains could have talked. The majority, only one player, skipped last week's scouting trip to Whistling Straits. He got 11 of America's top players to take time off during what would would have been a rare off week for them to fly up to Wisconsin and play two days of practice rounds and team bonding and everything else. And I think that's all because of Steve Stricker. There is such a level of confidence in him, and there is such a level of he is our leader and we're going to follow him in lockstep. I, probably not coming across sounding as if the Americans have much of a chance, but if they do – I say it's all because of Steve Stricker and the atmosphere he's creating around this team.
0: Rex Harder doing what he does. He's getting us ready for the Ryder Cup. Rex, so what do you make of his picks, especially when it relates to birdies? I think he got
2: exactly who he wanted. And six picks is tough. You talk to any captain, they'll tell you they don't want any picks. It's probably the hardest part of the job, if we're being honest. But Steve embraced it, and he knew what he was going to do with this golf course. He's setting this golf course up to be a track meet. There's going to be a lot of birdies. He wants cheers. He wants cheers. He wants to take advantage of what he views as the American advantage, and that's aggressive play, long drives, uh, good iron play, good putting, all of those things. He wants to see very, very low scores, and I think that's what he's going to end up getting. That's certainly what he got when you look at his captain's picks. Maybe the only one that you would look sideways at is Scotty Scheffler, and he's really quick to point out that Scotty Scheffler was seventh on tour last season and birdie average so he got exactly who he wanted
0: i mean rex youth right he picked four rookies which when combined with colin morikawa and patrick cantlay means that half the u.s team will be rookies and the average age of the americans is more than five years younger than the europeans in your mind how significant is that
2: i think it could be significant the fact it's a home game certainly helps and i think that gave Stricker a little bit of leeway not only a home game but let's face it it's going to be a wildly partisan crowd normally you get a handful of Europeans that at least come and try to make a show of it we won't have that this time around because of travel restrictions so that helps out Stricker and those younger players and it's relative when you start talking about rookies I don't know that anyone is going to look at what Xander Shoffley or Patrick Cantley have done and said yes they're clearly rookies but the one stat and you just put out some really good ones. The one that stood out to me is the entire U.S. team has a combined 12 starts in these matches. Lee Westwood alone is making his 11 starts in these matches, so you get an idea of how much Padraig Harrington on the European side lean into that veteran experience, and he wants to make sure he rides those horses the way they've always done the last few decades, whereas it seems like Stricker really wants to turn a new page, and it could
0: work out. We'll talk to Rex Hoggard for a few more moments. I'm trying to get as much information as I possibly can before the event. Hey, Rex, you've got a piece up on GolfChannel.com about the role that COVID is playing, especially as it relates to the second envelope for Sunday. For those who don't know, what is the envelope about, and then what is the second envelope all about?
2: Yeah, the envelope at the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup is always kind of weird. So what what this boils down to is if a player gets sick or injured on Sunday, when all 12 players are playing, because obviously – would not impact Friday and Saturday's play because you have, always have four players sitting out so you could sub a guy in. So only on Sunday, if someone on one of these teams gets sick or can't play for whatever reason, the person in the envelope is pulled out of the match and that, that match is considered tied and they just have the point, essentially, because of COVID and because of the chance that you could end up with not just one but multiple players catching COVID because they're on a team they're close together. There's actually three names in each envelope and you could end up with a scenario where you could have three players wouldn't have to wouldn't be able to play and so the other team would have to sit three of their players who were in the envelope they would have both of those points where it it could possibly get interesting or unfortunate is if you had more than three players and they still haven't made a decision on exactly where they would need to draw the line in case there was an outbreak now i'm very confident that's not going to happen they have created a very tight bubble around both teams this week and i'm pretty sure they know what they're doing after a year and a half of playing through a pandemic but it's certainly something they've thought about.
0: You bet. Rex Harder joining us. Rex, before you go, I've got to get your thoughts on the topic of Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. What's your sense as to the state of their relationship right now and how they're going to function together as teammates? It's the most backhanded of all things you could possibly
2: say. When Brooks said, I can put up with anybody for one week, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I can't imagine anything that's more backhanded than that. They're like, sure, I put me in the room with them. I'm fine with them. And they've tried to make a show of it this week. You saw them talking on the range yesterday. Bryson was asked about the relationship. He pointed out they've had a couple dinners since the whole team has kind of gotten together. They'll be fine this week. I think the people who are saying that they should just pair them together is ridiculous because there's no way they would play well as a team. So essentially, you're just ceding a point to Europe. They'll get through this week. What's interesting to me, and Bryson kind of hinted to this, there could be some sort of event that includes these two. I'm thinking along the lines of maybe some sort of match like we've seen in the past. That would really be must-see, and I'm curious to see how that transpires in
0: the next few weeks. I mean, obviously, Rex, to your point, they're not going to put them together, but who do you expect to see playing with Bryson this week?
2: That's an interesting one because I don't know if there's a natural fit. I think Tricker has an advantage that he has two very good natural pairings. We're talking about Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and then Patrick Cantley and Xander Schauffler. If you go down the list, I think you start looking at a guy like a Daniel Berger or Scottie Scotty Scheffler, someone who really doesn't have a natural fit right now. And someone you could maybe just convince, okay, you guys could make a very, very good four ball team because I can't imagine he would ever send him out and alternate shot force him. That's
0: way too demanding. So, Rex, one more point. You've made the point that the Ryder Cup might actually be a turning point for Bryson. Lay that out. What do you mean by that? And how do you expect him to show up this week?
2: I think it's been such a difficult few months for him. I mean, if you look at everything that's been going on between he and Brooks and the man's spat that's been going on and He made some comments about not being vaccinated that certainly ended up on the wrong side of some public opinion. He criticized his own manufacturer about his driver at the Open Championship. It's all of these things that sort of piled on top of him so far this year. And he
0: really needs a reset.
2: And there's not a better place to come up with a reset than here. Now, the danger is the opposite. He played terrible in Paris three years ago. Didn't win the U.S. a point. If he does that again this week, that's only going to compound his problems. But there is the opportunity that nothing changes the narrative quicker than good play. And this week, everyone's going to be watching. And in a good week this week would change that narrative.
0: Well said. So finally, I know you're skeptical about the U.S.'s chances, but lay this out. What is the key for the United States to win the Cup back? How does it have to play out for them to win?
2: I just had this conversation with Paul McGinley, of course, the famous European captain. He works for Sky Sports now. And I kind of asked him the same question. And he said, Force I just said how, how difficult ultimate shot is. If you look at the Americans' records in foursome play in this event, it is abysmal. They simply cannot win those matches. And I don't think it's a secret or or by accident that Steve Stricker starts on Friday morning with foursome. I think he knows as well as anyone that This team has to get off to a good start. They don't have to win the session. They just can't go down 4-0 early because there's no coming back from that.
0: He is a GolfChannel.com senior writer, and again, NBC Sports is all over it. They've got comprehensive coverage of the 43rd Ryder Cup from West Wing Straits. This weekend, across NBC, Golf Channel, and Peacock, live coverage getting it away on Golf Channel Friday at 8 a.m. Eastern. Rex, have a great week. You're almost there. Great to have you back, Rex. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Let me ask you something, and tell me if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's log in for the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites all together like never before. Before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. What that means is no more juggling remotes, no more need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. That rules so get rid of the clutter because clutter's the worst. Get rid of the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. What's your beef? Not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original, old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy and peppered. All come in four-ounce bags so you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper. What is your beef? If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, there it is to my left. The famous giant plastic tower of beef. I'm looking for your beefs. On the phones, 1-800-636-8686. You can get through right now, and I will get you on the air with a beef. Or you can hit me up on social media, on Twitter, at Jim Rome. I will even start you off with a personal beef. I got beef, and this is something that happens fairly frequently. When I come to work in the morning, it is dark. It's still night, and I'm trying to get to work. I've got a whole process where I got to get in, got to get in, got to get in, got to be on time, got to start, you know, fired up. Got my caffeine, ready to roll. There's always that one a-hole. Not always, but I'm going to say once or twice a week where I'll be on the freeway. And I hate to jinx this, but I literally have never had a ticket in my adult life. And I'm proud of that fact. So I'm careful. There's always that one a-hole, though, who's got the one of their headlights out. And if that car is far enough back, what do you think it is? You think it's a cop, of course, So instead of barreling down the highway at 85 to get to work, I think I'm smart. I think I've picked up a motorcycle cop back, you know, half mile back. So then I'm on the brakes and I'm just driving at 58, minding my own business, not going to get caught, going to keep my record intact, only to find out it's some a-hole with a headlight out who hasn't fixed it. Hey, idiot, it's dangerous. It's irresponsible. You're going to get a ticket, and you have the rest of us thinking you're a motorcycle cop, man. Fix I am it. dangerous. That's my beef. All right. Wells in the 360. My beef is with CJ in the Bay. Dude just needs to go away. He is worse than Matt in L.A. Please quit for good today. And all the clones will cheer, hooray. Hooray! I don't know, Wells. You, you saying that somebody's the worst ever, you know... If it was somebody else saying it, maybe. Rome, my beef is with people who eat their corn on a cob typewriter style. You're 35 years old and eating your food like a toddler. Zach in Philly. Good job, Zach. I like that. That's good. Ed Wisco Baron tweets, hi Jim, my beef is with Leaf Blower Guy. The dude with two primary missions. One to spray debris on my freshly washed ride as I drive by. And two, to show up at my neighbor's house at 7 a.m. on Saturday to blast me from my slumber. I've kind of covered the leaf blower as being the worst invention ever. But I feel you. Headley Stone, quote, I got beef with players that celebrate a broken up pass like they just won the Super Bowl when their team is down 48-25. Pancho Villa tweets, Hey, Jim, my beef is with... No, actually, it's... Hi, Jim. Rex here. Here's my beef. Why do they call it taking a dump when you're not actually taking it anywhere? Shouldn't it be leaving a dump? Good one, Pancho. And Makmoda, quote, My beef is these bright green plastic kid signs telling me to slow down on every block. Hey, how about telling your kids to stay the hell out the damn street? (laughs) Quigs, 1225. Hey, Jim, my beef is with Kia drivers. Collectively, there's not a group of worst drivers on the planet, and that includes women. Damn, dude went there. At Eagle Flyers tweets, Hey Jim, it's Mike McCarthy. My beef is that there's not enough beef anywhere whenever I need it, which is always there's not enough. I thought Dallas was beef capital of the world, yet I'm constantly searching for more beef. Not bad. Not bad and not unfair. Nick Jansen, quote, my beef is with my idiot co-worker leaving seven seconds on the microwave. Hey, loser, I bet you never return to your VHS tapes rewound also. Now I need to reset this damn thing to make this stupid hot pocket and get back to my dead end joke of a job. Dude, you sound miserable. I feel you, though, Nick. I agree with you. Come on, man. We sh- it's, it's communal. It's a community microwave. Reset that thing. This is not your kitchen. This is not your personal microwave. Reset it, man. And if your food's going to blow up in it, clean it. Ronnie, quote, My beef is with the people that ride around a parking lot for 10 minutes to find the closest space to the big box store and then walk five miles through that store. Good job, Ronnie. It's Slick Ricky. Yo, Jim. My beef is with the guy who calls me every day asking if I want to refinance my student loan. Hey, Knob, I didn't even go to college. Stop calling me. Gabriel Benson. My beef is hearing NFL announcers saying a team has to punt. It's fourth down. Teams don't have to punt. Try saying they will probably punt. Nostradamus, in fact, you look at the analytics, teams are going for it more and more and more and more on fourth down, no matter where they are on the field. J.W. Patman, my beef is with Gimme Guy, the guy who blasts his 10-foot putt by the hole. And has a five-foot downhill or coming back and just picks it up. Who the hell do you think you are? A gimme is maybe two feet, tops. Seriously, he's right, Ben Crenshaw. And Wooden Laconic. My beef is with rocking division champs gear when repping your team. Be better than that. Jake in Buffalo. My beef is with 24-7 phone sex hotlines They promise live hot phone sex only to find out my phone input ports are too small. <laughs> Robert Morris, Jim, in the locker room, everyone hates middle urinal guy. But my beef is with naked, fat dude who takes 15 minutes shaving in the mirror. To get to a shower, I've got to pass by this obese hill of flesh. I've had to reschedule my workouts and my therapy. Well done, Robert. That might be your leader in the locker room. Listen, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? I mean, incredible, right? Fire Prevention Month is in October, so it's right around the corner. And it's never too early to start preparing, and we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your entire family with safety that you know you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms to help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. Having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your family and your home. You want to install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. Then, once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, alarms do not last forever. They do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace that unit completely. For a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms. 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. And for more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, go to firstalert.com slash firepreventionmonth. Everybody should be doing this with their family. Go to firstalert.com slash firepreventionmonth. All right, let's go to the phones. So. So far so good. Let's go to Alaska. I love it. Matt in Alaska. Matt, what's going on with your beef, Matt?
1: Hey, Romy. I got a beef with Jeep guy. You know, this guy rides around in his rig that he's got jacked up to Jesus and he's got these three taglines that he lives by. You know, the first one is life is better topless. All right, man, we get it. Ha ha ha. The second one It's a Jeep thing you wouldn't understand. Well, you know, let me let you in on a little secret. We don't want to understand. And the last one that really sticks in my craw is that sticker he has along the top of his windshield that says, if you can read this, roll me over. (laughs) The hell would I do that for? You are upside down for a reason. I'm going to put a little space between myself and you before you are, quote-unquote, rolled over and mobile again. Wore the Rome family renting a goose-wrangling dog next summer in Wisco and wore that Alaskan lifestyle and bagging two grizzly bears. My man,
0: I'm out. Got a boy, rack him. Normally I want you to keep moving on the beef segment. You know, bam, 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 bam. That was a good phone call. That was a good phone call. Nice job, Matt. Well done. Let's go to Snowbird. This guy's no stranger to the program. Mike in Snowbird. Mike, what's your beef?
3: Hey, Jim. Everybody who
0: flies through the
3: ATL shares my beef. You land at gate A1, and your connector is at D90, 20 miles away. The guy who schedules this is a butthole. Come on, it's all Delta. Why can't it be closer?
0: My man, nice job, Mike. He's right. That's a big airport. Hey, Al. Alvin, Urgh! hey, uh, unnamed member of the XR4TI running the board, add that to your butthole mix or to Alvin's butthole mix. That's a big, big airport, the ATL. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to San Diego. Jay, good to have you. Jay, what's your beef? Jay, My
2: Jim, my beef is with the San Diego Padres being 98% chance to make the park, uh, playoffs last week and 1% today. I'm out.
0: I hear you. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough, tough year. That year has not gone the way as planned or as expected. You know I'm coming here on the beef segment. Let's go to Omaha, Nebraska. Kathleen. Kathleen, what is your beef?
2: Alter Eagle, another singing competition. Just <laughs> great. And they're competing as avatars. There's only one avatar that matters where Swedish German baby boy is Johannes is the front man and songwriter, and they are the only avatar worth knowing, and the king welcomes you to Avatar Country.
0: You got it, Kathleen. She loves baby boy Johannes, doesn't she? Kathleen, there's still nobody like her. I'd call her a unicorn, but that's not really true. But there's nobody like her. Let's go to Lincoln, Nebraska. Nick, good to have you, Nick. What's your beef? My beef is
1: with elementary school fundraisers. You just hit me up for 200 bucks on the plant sale. And before my check even clears, you're trying to hit me up for the readathon for my kid. Hey, PTO, maybe give it a minute. Not to mention, you want me to hit up family members to donate money for my kid to read in their own room. What's that about Rome? Appreciate
0: you. I'm out. Appreciate you too, Nick. I got one. And this one hits close to home because my wife is somebody who's super, super active with the schools and with the baseball program and public schools. I mean, this is what she does. My beef is with you parents that do not contribute to the baseball or football fund when the rest of us do and we got to pick you up. Yet you're more than happy to take part in everything that our kids do, but we're paying for it and you're not. I understand. Times are tough. However, we're all doing it. So why aren't you? And, and if, in fact, times are tough and financially it's too big of a commitment, there are other ways to help out. Contribute your time. Volunteer your time. Ask. Ask, is there anything that we can do to help out because it's kind of hard to write this check. We're having a tough time right now, but we're having a good experience. Our son or our daughter getting a lot out of the program. Can we help out another way? Rather than doing nothing, sitting on your hands, and most of all, not paying like the rest of us. Wow. I bookended with beefs. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically. With no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? in fact it's even more amazing because of all the places where discover is accepted 99 percent of places in the u.s that take credit cards that's where so when it comes to discover get used to hearing yes more often learn more at discover.com slash yes 2021 nielsen report limitations do apply he is dana white dana really quickly before we get to the card how you doing dana how is your life right about now and how you feeling on wednesday of fight week
4: i feel good everything's good buddy uh Um, You know, always have to deal with some, uh, some problems here and there, but everything's been pretty good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which, let me get to one of them, and maybe it's a problem, maybe it's not. The car, Dana, is loaded. Normally, I would start at the very top with the championship fights, but i got to start with Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. It's a five-round rematch of a fight, Dana, that took place 17 years ago. There's always excitement when there's a Diaz fight, and now there's news, and I don't know if this is one of the problems you're talking about, but Diaz wants to fight at 185 instead of 170. Where do things stand with that right now?
4: Yeah, it's good. So, Robbie Lawler flew in last night. He obviously wasn't happy about it, um, you know, but Robbie's a gamer. Robbie's a fighter, man, and uh, he's going to do it. So, those guys will fight on Saturday night at 185 pounds.
0: All right, so you're going to find a way to make that work. In your mind, how much does that change things for both of them?
4: I think it's, it makes it a better fight, to be honest with you. Like you said, 17 years ago, this fight happened. These guys are, uh, are a lot older And and cutting down to that 170 pounds, uh, you know, takes a lot out of you. These guys are going to come in fresh. You know, neither one of them are going to have to cut.
0: Dan, what do you expect? I mean, do you have any idea what to expect from Nick? It has been six years since he's been inside a UFC octagon. Any idea what to expect from him when he gets there?
4: Um, Oh, and by the way, Robbie Lawler landed in Vegas at 82.
0: Mm. So, uh,
4: yeah, no. So, uh, I don't know what to expect from Nick Diaz. You know, the one thing that I do know, you know, I don't know what he's got left or, 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 but the, you know, he and his brother are fighters, man. These guys, there's going to be, listen, the BS isn't done. There, there's more coming this week. And uh, the one thing that I do know is that they'll show up on Saturday and they'll fight.
0: I love these guys. I absolutely love these guys. I, I don't have to do business with them like you do, Dana. I could see where some days are probably better than other days. But, man, there's something else. I mean, what's it say about both these guys that 17 years later, they're still looking to fight each other? I understand that this is what fighters do, but 17 years later, they still want to fight. What's that say about both of them?
4: Yeah, listen, I mean, doesn't even need to be said about either one of these guys. Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler are two of the baddest dudes to ever participate in combat sports.
0: Dana, one last thought about the two of them. Like, what do you remember? They, they met at UFC 47. That was a Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell card. What do you remember about that first fight?
4: Um, first of all, Robbie was coming in with a lot of hype at that time. You know, Nick Diaz was known, but not known as, uh, you know, like he is today. And, uh, you know, that was one of the, one of the, one of the defining fights, uh, in, in both of their careers. And, uh, you know, you know what's crazy about Robbie Lawler. I can't remember. I found that kid when he was either 18 or 19 years old, and I, I, I liked him. I thought he had potential. He ended up becoming a world champion, and he's still fighting in the UFC today. Pretty crazy.
0: That is amazing. Dana White joining us. So, Dana, if that card only had a Diaz fight, it'd be worth the money. But in addition to that, you've got Volkanovski defending his featherweight belt against Brian Ortega. After they coached against each other on the Ultimate Fighter, what is your sense as to what each guy thinks of the other guy?
4: Yeah, I I think that when when you do a stint on the Ultimate Fighter, you know, you already don't like the guy that you're fighting or, you know, you you, you don't love him. He's not your best friend. Then then as you're with him day in and day out, they start to get on your nerves. And by the time the end of the season is over, you just can't wait to punch the other guy in the face. So uh, I think that's exactly what happened with Volkanovski and Ortega. And either way, with or without the ultimate fighter, these are two of the best guys in the world. um, And I expect this fight to be an
0: absolute war. Dana White's joining us to, to that point, Dana. Volkanovsky has got a 19 fight winning streak. 19. And has back to back wins over Max Holloway, where he won the belt and then defended it. So does he get the respect that he deserves, or does he still have more to prove?
4: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things for a guy like Volkanovsky because the uh, Holloway fights were so close. And, you know, yeah, people thinking that oh, Holloway won that fight or whatever the thing is, it, you know, he's just going to have to keep picking guys off. You know, when he gets to Holloway twice, if he beats Brian Ortega, then he's got Yair Rodriguez coming. Uh, I mean, after a while, it's, it's like Kamaru Usman. In my opinion right now, Kamaru Usman is the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world. All right? I mean, if you look at what this guy has accomplished, beat Masvidal twice, Gilbert Burns, Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, uh, Rafael dos Anjos, Damien Maya, Leon Edwards—you know—he—he's he, finally starting to get the credit he deserves and the respect. He's, he's without a doubt the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. I appreciate. So, I think Volkanovsky is probably going to have to take that same route.
0: I appreciate those thoughts on that. Dana White joining us. What about Valentina Shevchenko looking for her sixth straight title defense after she won at UFC 261? You described her performance as being, quote, like a bleeping demon. What did she show you back in April that made you feel that way?
4: Yeah. Um, first of all, th- this girl is one of the greatest female fighters of all time. I mean, her and Amanda Nunes have fought twice, you know, and she's going up a weight class to take on him. you could say two weight classes because Amanda has the 45-pound championship, too. Um, right now, her and Amanda Nunes are the baddest women to ever walk the face of the earth. And um, I'm excited to see, you know, Lauren Murphy's been on, been on a roll. And, uh, you know, she's got eight wins by knockout and, and, and one via submission. You know, for women at that weight to knock other women out it's very tough to do. Lauren Murphy has done it. So we'll see what she can do against yes, this this absolute savage Valentina Shevchenko.
0: Yes, yeah, to that point Dana like I really respect Lauren Murphy, but to that point about Shevchenko like is she in a way as great as she is, is she maybe the most underrated superstar you've seen in the game?
4: 100%. You're you're absolutely right, Jim.
0: Dana White joining us. Dana Connor, <laughs> I talked quite a bit about Conor McGregor today, man. I, 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 I know where this is going. No, dude, I loved it. I loved it yesterday, Dana. You know, there's sometimes, you know how it is. I'm probably, I, I will not speak for you. I will speak for me. There have been days where Conor McGregor was my favorite human being ever. There were days where I've been like, Conor, man, what the hell are you doing? Yesterday was one of the good days with Conor, man. I thought he was awesome from start to finish. What's your sense, though, as his next move as a fighter?
4: Um, Well, let let me start here. You know how many times I've been asked to throw out a first pitch somewhere, and I'll never do it, ever? Mm. Um, You know, just like all the guys that think they can fight, guys think they can go out and throw a baseball to home plate. It's a lot harder than it looks. Um, You know, this kid's got to heal up. Uh, I don't know how fast that leg is going to recover, and and it's basically going to be all about when can he start kicking again, And, and more importantly, when can he start taking kicks again? That will determine when he fights again.
0: Dan, to the point, I don't know for you, I don't want you to think that I had a different take on it. I thought that first pitch was great. I loved what he did. My point is, if the guy hits the glove, nobody gives a damn, nobody talks about it, but because he threw it out of the stadium, he went viral, he got his retweets, everybody's talking about it. It was brilliant. And to your point, I have done it, man. It is much harder than it looks. Absolutely. It is much harder than it looks. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You, you're you a boxing fan from way back in the day. I know you love that sport still. yet. However, what do you make of celebrity boxing events is that a good thing or a bad thing for the sport
4: i don't i don't think it's good or bad for the sport i I don't think it's either i think that there's always going to be a market for that there's always going to be you know a couple years ago when 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 justin bieber called out tom cruise everybody was asking me about that i mean imagine if justin bieber really fought tom cruise it would be the biggest pay-per-view of all time there's always going to be a market um for those type of fights but be prepared when you see it, it's going to be the shittiest fight you've ever seen in your life, okay? It's not going to be good, but, but people are interested in it.
0: Dana White, my guest, obviously Jake Paul has figured out this formula, exactly what you're talking about, and of course he's been talking about you. A few weeks back he said, quote, I think it ends with me running into him in a club in Vegas and knocking him the bleep out, end of quote. Dana, you saw that. What is your reaction to that?
4: Yeah, my reaction was it makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm 52 years old. Um, right in the age demographic of guys he likes to fight. Washed up 52-year-olds. It, it absolutely makes sense.
0: Dana White joining us. All right, UFC 266 is going to be a big one. It's live from Vegas. It is Saturday night. It is exclusively on ESPN pay-per-view. You've got Nick Diaz fighting. You've got Volkanovski and Ortega. It's going to be a great one. Dana, so good to have you back, man. Have a great weekend. You too, buddy. Dave Roberts is my guest. David, so good to have you back. How are you?
3: Romy, what's happening? I'm doing well. Just uh, hanging out in uh, the great town of Denver. Got good weather and ready to play a ball game tonight.
0: I love it, and I appreciate you doing it, too. So you're coming off an extra innings win, Dave, in Colorado last night. Albert Pujols came up as a pinch hitter in the top of the 10th to single and drive in the eventual game winner. I mean, there's nothing, Dave, in this game you haven't seen, but I've got to ask, what was that moment like for you as a manager last night? You know
3: what? I think it was really special, and I alluded afterwards, uh, there might have been a beer shower uh, ensuing after that game with Albert. Uh, This guy is first ballot Hall of Famer, and uh, to be essentially a role player for for the Dodgers and embrace it. And so for me, I I got to admit, I pull extra hard for him because I just want him to – have those extra lord knows he's had great moments but i'll tell you right now getting a hit to win a game i think that uh, it's one of the highlights of in a long time frame and he's even said that he's having more fun than he's had in, in quite some time
0: I think My that's nation. cool day roberts is joining us really cool so i mean to that point like you could tell that the respect and the love that he's already gotten from his teammates like so what has he brought to the team not just in terms of production but in terms of team chemistry and being a good teammate what's it like having him around
3: I think a little bit. I think for me, it's going to sound a little different, but it's humility. Um, you know, when, when a guy comes into your clubhouse, I think the first tendency is to be a little standoffish and be respectful of, of a player like Albert, but he's he made the first move to all of our guys, our coaches and uh, showed a willingness to teach and help. And um, I think that right there guys understood that, man, you can have that softness, that humility and still be a savage as a ball player.
0: Talking to Dodgers manager Dave Roberts. So you and the Giants are locked in that epic battle for first. Last night the Giants rallied from three down. They beat the Padres. They stay in first. Dave, what's it like to be in the middle of this particular race? Are you doing a lot of scoreboard watching, or do you try and actually not look at the scoreboard?
3: Yeah, you know I'm guilty of of scoreboard watching. I'll tell you this: is that they've played a lot of games. We play at the same time and yesterday we were ahead of them so I got to make a point not to watch it in real time because I got to watch the end of the game and uh it was painful watching that game so um you do and and Romy I think that's part of being in a pennant race you know you work hard to put yourself in a pennant race so part of the joy is kind of watching but you can't you know you still got to be focused on the job at hand and that's control
0: what you can control. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts is joining us they've got a game this evening so the team went out and made that big move to bring in Max Scherzer and Trey Turner both actually what did that say Dave about the drive and vision of the organization to make a move like that and have those two guys brought to the team
3: yeah it shows uh the willingness to do anything and that's from Mark Walter our our owner to Andrew Friedman who's probably one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around and uh you know, so if there's a deal to be had to make our club better, he's going to do it. And then, then you get two uh, superstars and Max Scherzer, who obviously the line score shows how incredible he's been. But he's been just impactful in the clubhouse. And Trey Turner, what he can do, there's nothing on the baseball field he can't do. Um, so yeah, we got eleven, twelve games left, from me. It's going to be fun. But uh, I love our guys.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting what you said about Friedman. For instance, like you, you were a high-level athlete. You manage high-level athletes. You've been around athletics and like elite athletes your whole life. What about the business side of things? Generally, guys who get to that high level are very driven, ambitious. They're bright. But you just called him one of the most competitive guys you've ever been around. Is that unusual to see a guy in that position that competitive?
3: You know, I, I think. I I I don't know because I know that Theo Epstein is another guy that I've been around and he's super competitive and great at what he does, uh, obviously. And Andrew is, and I think what it is is that as a player you have a certain lens where you kind of equate competitiveness to people that perform play on the field, but then as a manager you have a lot more dealings with people in the front office and owners, and you realize those guys are just as competitive. As the players themselves, but they just have a different skill set, and it doesn't show through. But when Andrew makes a move like this, or is grinding, you know, t- endlessly on hours on making our roster better, that's compete.
0: Hmm. I like that. Dave Roberts joining us. Of course, you got Max Scherzer. We know he's going to compete. Is that <laughs> funny story? Funny story, Dave, from early in his time with the team, that you learned not to touch him during a start. Like, how would you describe this guy's approach to preparation, and then the focus and intensity that he has when he is pitching?
3: Well, uh, just to kind of, uh, yeah, allude to that story, it's like I pride myself on communication with our players, but I uh, obviously didn't get a memo that when he's pitching, you don't touch him. So <laughs> right. as I patted him on the behind uh, a, a few times coming down the steps in New York, then under his breath, says don't effing touch me. And then so the players are dying laughing, and he's like, I don't need to get rewarded or patted on the butt or, laud- or lauded or encouraged. This is my job. This is what I'm doing. We'll shake hands after, and then we're great. And so that was a lot of fun for me and an eye-opener for me. But as far as your question, this guy, Romy, checks every box. He's prepared with the infield guys, the catchers, the pitching coaches, the outfield guys. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He knows how to navigate a lineup. And the intensity that this guy has, um, you know, I've seen Clayton Kershaw for six years, and this guy I, I is just – is competitive as far as prepared, if not more than Clayton, which speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, that, that speaks volumes. I'm so glad you reset that story. That is such a hilarious story. Dave Roberts joining me for a few more moments. They've got a game coming up shortly. You mentioned Clayton Kershaw. He went five innings, Dave, on Sunday. He got his first win since June. How has he looked to you since his return from the elbow inflammation?
3: He looks he looks great. Um, he's still building up. I think the thing is that people want to kind of gravitate initially and give that lazy look to just velocity. And so it's not going to be two and three, but I think the command is still there. The slider, uh, which is which made him a Hall of Famer, is still there. The curveball, he's using a little bit more. So I think right now I love where he's at. We're going to build him up against Arizona to six innings. And I look at our staff as four aces. You know, you've got Scherzer, Bueller, Urias, and Kershaw. So uh, it's the best staff in baseball. Now we've got to go out there and play.
0: So, Dave, not only am I going to keep you for one more question, but I'm going to ask you about you. You've always avoided credit. Recently, you said, quote, it takes a whole army to get this thing moving forward in the right direction. There's a lot of people that should be very proud. And to quote, well, that is correct. It does take an entire army. You're the guy in the front. You're the guy calling the shots. You're the guy who takes the heat if things do not go well. And things have gone really well. But again, you're the guy when things don't go well. What have the last six years been like for you?
3: Uh, really a lot of growing. Um, And I, and I, I really say that seriously. I think that um, in this job, you can't, uh, you've always got to evolve because you have to realize it's always about the player. And, and Romy, you kind of alluded to it. It's like, I've learned to not take things personal. Um, There's a lot of criticisms and, and from fans, media, and that's part of it. That's what makes the great, the game great. And you want that. But I think early on it kind of hit a little bit deeper, but now Uh, If I trust, you know, the people that are around me, the players and the decision making that I make, you know, you can handle a lot better. But I think that I'm always trying to get better and learn. And, you know, I've learned a lot from Max and Trey in a short period of time, as well as, you know, Justin Turner and different guys that we have. So it's been a lot of fun. But I think growth probably is the main thing for me. My main takeaway.
0: I absolutely love that response. Really quickly, like what, what have you learned from those guys that you just mentioned? What have they taught you?
3: You know, I I just think that sometimes where you've got to listen to the player as far as I might, I haven't played since 2008. So the grind that these guys go through, the rest and recovery, the I don't feel good, but I need to play because the visual of me in the lineup is going to help our ball club win a ball game, or I might not have my best stuff, but you got to trust me to go that extra inning. Or just the communication that we've had with each other has allowed me to make better decisions. And, and I think that's kind of the biggest win for me, is that the trust that we have between player coach.
0: And then one last thing, Justin Turner looks like a million, right? He has leaned out. He's obviously committed to nutrition and diet. What's that been like for you to see him like that, the commitment that he made, and then how does that translate between the lines for him?
3: You know what, Um, I have a a unique fondness in relation with Justin, and uh, he's an aging player, but he's a baseball player. You know, and he takes really good care of himself. He's eating right. He's uh, one of the smartest guys I've ever been around on a baseball diamond, and he just has that unique ability, Romeo. And, And this is probably the biggest thing that I love is that him and Courtney, his wife, the Justin Turner Red Turn 2 Foundation, he has that ability to do in the community and put as much work into the community and the fans and the people as he does in the batting cage or taking grounders and he's just that guy that gets it and so when you see a professional athlete that gets it that's why I kind of always go to the forefront and pull for him but uh, he's one of my favorites
0: I like that quite a bit he was a World Series champion as a player World Series champion as a manager the Dodgers right there in the battle once again Dave Roberts my guest Dave appreciate you so much thank you very much for doing that have a great week good luck
3: All right. thanks Romy take care of yourself Good night! night.